Well, I want to welcome you here. Easter weekend at Big Valley Grace, unbelievable this time of year, unbelievable. Jesus was, was crucified on Friday. He died on Friday. He was dead on Friday. There were a lot of people saw him up on that cross, beaten and bloody, uh, a crown of thorns on his head, holes in his hands, blood dripping down all over his body. His heart had stopped beating. He was dead on Friday. Two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, took his body off the cross and put him in a tomb, or really a, a cave, and they rolled a big, huge, round stone in front of, front of it, thinking that this was going to be Jesus' final resting place. He was dead. His life was over. But something happened. Three days later, literally, something took place that changed the course of history. <laughs> literally, it changed the course of my life. And I know for probably, I don't know, 96.2% of you in here, it's changed your life. And I believe that before we're done here in the next 30 minutes or so, it's going to change a number of your lives. It changed the number of lives last hour. I want to read it, okay? It's in your notes. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. If you don't, all the verses will come up on the jumbotrons because we want you to read the Word for yourself. I want you to see what God's Word says. The Bible says in verse 1, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. They went to the place where the dead body of Jesus was buried, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus there. As they stood there puzzled, and that'd be puzzling, wouldn't it? Those women saw him dead. They were there. They saw him put that body in that tomb. So they were puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to these gals, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he'd rise again on the third day? Then they remembered that Jesus had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to these men. Well, of course it did. They were all there too. They saw Jesus hanging on a cross. They saw him take his last breath. 
They saw those two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, pull his body off of the cross. They saw his limp body. Of course it sounded like nonsense. It sounds like nonsense to some of you. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again wondering what had happened. Beloved, I, I've read that story at least a thousand times. And every time I read it, it still amazes me. It, it still amazes me. I was asked uh, by a magazine not long ago uh, what I thought maybe the one or two or three most critical chapters in the Word of God are, and I know all of us may say something different, but I said, you know, certainly one of the, the most important chapters in the Word of God is, is the fact that Jesus came to planet Earth and was born of a virgin. We celebrate that time of year, we call it Christmas. The day that the second person of the Holy Trinity left the glories of heaven to come here and take on the form of a man, it's unbelievable. And certainly this chapter in the Word of God has to be there too. Where we learn about the, the death of Jesus Christ. That's one thing that he came and became a man. It's another thing that he would actually allow himself to die on a cross. And then he walks out of the tomb. Beloved, the reason why churches all over the planet are packed this weekend the reason churches all over the planet like this one are adding services is because of this amazing moment. The reason why we're, you know, partying and celebrating and man is, is because of the resurrection of, Jill, uh, of Jesus Christ. Literally billions of people all over the planet this weekend will celebrate this amazing moment. Easter isn't about eggs. Nothing wrong with hunting down eggs. But Easter is not about eggs. Easter is not about, you know, chocolate bunnies. Nothing wrong with having a chocolate bunny. Unbelievable how the world will do all that it can to dumb down this holy and sacred moment. Easter's not about pastels either. <laughs> but I got my new, my new Easter shirt on. Anyway, it's all right. <laughs> Easter's about Jesus Christ, his resurrection. Now, Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Beloved, I want you to know that as the pastor of this church, that's my goal. I want people who come here for whatever reason to taste the Lord. Because if people taste the Lord, not a denomination, not a religion, not a bunch of rules and regulations, not a list of do's and don'ts, you know, legalism, but if they taste the Lord, they'll see He's good. Because He is good. 
But here's what happens. Too many times when people come to church, all they taste is the denomination. Or all they taste is religion. Or all they taste is a bunch of rules and regulations. Legalism. Or all they taste is a list of do's and don'ts, especially the don'ts. Boy, the church has a list of don'ts. And if all you taste is a denomination or a religion or rules and regulations or do's and don'ts, I understand why people don't want Jesus. Rules and regulations don't taste good. Religion, to me, doesn't taste good. Denominations, you know, who, who cares? The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I want people, whether they're, they're children, whether they're our youth, I don't care who they are, when they come here, that somehow you taste Christ. You taste Him. Because I guarantee if you'll taste Him, you'll go, wow, He's good. You know, whenever I run into anybody, and I run into a lot of people after, after doing this here at this church for over 25 years, who go, ah, you know, I tried that Jesus stuff. It's not for me. What that tells me is, is they didn't taste the Lord. They may have tasted the music. They may have tasted the, you know, the, the, the preacher. They may have tasted the facility. They may have tasted some of the people sitting around them. But they haven't tasted the Lord. Because if you taste the Lord, you don't walk away going, ah, that Jesus ain't for me. I, you'll never do that because the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And nothing shows us how good the Lord is like the resurrection. Nothing. Peter, who was the guy who was all confused, you know, what is... What is this old Jesus saying? That's nonsense. L listen to what he, what he says in his letter. He, say, he says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, and the reason why he wrote that was he actually saw Jesus alive after his death. He lived back then. He was an eyewitness. He saw him on the cross. He saw his dead body, he saw him put into the tomb, but he also saw him alive. And so now he pins these words, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. Now. Beloved, Jesus is about... Easter is about Jesus walking out of the tomb conquering death, but Easter is also about offering you a brand new life, a life that's full of meaning and significance. I think too often we, we kind of get this picture in our mind that Jesus is just about getting us to heaven, and, and I think that that's a part of it. But he walked out of that tomb conquering death offering you a brand new life today. It starts today. Yeah, you're going to get to go to heaven maybe someday. But Easter's also about offering you a life today full of meaning and significance. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said, I've come in order that you might have life. 
life in all of its fullness. Jesus wants to give you an incredible life right now while you're walking around on planet Earth now. Yes, you know, the full life is going to be, this amazing life is going to be, you know, incredible when we get to heaven, yeah. But he wants to give you a life full of meaning and significance now. Right now. And this life that Jesus wants to give us has everything to do with the resurrection. It's a life that will go on throughout eternity. Now, now, most of us here believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, right? I mean, we believe that Jesus Christ was, was crucified and, and buried on Friday, and then three days later he rose from the grave. But I also know that there are some of you here that, that struggle with that. I know it. There are some of you out there that are thinking, man, dude, you're out of your mind, right? How could anybody believe that somebody could conquer death? I mean, it's impossible for somebody to walk out of a, out of a tomb. And the reason why I know some of you are you're thinking this is because I used to think the same thing. I remember I would go to Easter services downtown to First Baptist or, or Cross Point when I was younger thinking, man, these, these people are nuts. Now, I didn't say it out loud because there was a girl there that I was, you know, I wanted, I wanted to get the girl. And so she believed in all that stuff. So I'd go and go, yeah, amen, man, preach it, man. One way, Jesus, he's risen. But in my brain, I'd be going, what? Really? Look at all these people. They really believe this? And I want you to know, if that's you, you're in good company. Because the original disciples all thought the same thing. They thought it was nonsense. When I was, when I was younger, man, I, I, just, I just couldn't grasp this whole concept of the resurrection. So if you're here simply because, you know, this makes your mom happy, it's Easter. Please, son, come with me. And we know who you are because there's skid marks all the way into the church. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of skid marks. It's okay. We're glad that you're here. We really are. Or maybe some friend brought you or whatever, and you really don't believe that Jesus walked out of the tomb. I understand. And here's the good news for you. <laughs> there's only about 30 minutes left. <laughs> and you're done. And you get to get out of here and go eat a salad or hunt for eggs. But let me encourage you, at least while you're here, to pay attention to the message, because I think of nothing else that'll be somewhat interesting for you. I've tried to kind of lay this out in such a way that at least you'll have a better understanding of what we believe here at Big Valley Grace. If you drive by on Tully or Pellendale and you drive by this church, you may disagree. You may think, I'm nuts, or we're all nuts. That's okay. But at least you'll know what we do believe. And at least you'll know why this weekend billions of people are gathering to, 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 to celebrate. So just pay attention for a few moments. I think it will be somewhat interesting to you. So here's the deal. Really, everybody agrees that Jesus was a real person. Nobody disagrees with that. He wasn't a, a phantom or some kind of floating spirit. Everybody knows Jesus was a real man. He was a uh, a man with a human name. Everybody knows he had a mother and father, right? Mary and Joseph, kind of a thing. 
Everybody knows that he came from a real town. Everybody knows he had a real job. He was a, a carpenter. Nobody denies that Jesus was a, a real person because it's undeniable. In fact, nobody denies that Jesus died on a cross, okay, because that's also undeniable. It's when you get to the resurrection of Jesus that people begin to squirm and struggle, right? As I said, I, I used to struggle with that. But not only did I struggle with the resurrection, but I struggled with something much deeper. And I could never mention it to, you know, my girlfriend who went to the, you know, the church because then she would know I really didn't believe, but I wrestled with it. It was a much, it was a much deeper question. And that was the question of why. Why would God's, you know, son even have to come to planet Earth? Why would God's son have to come and die for me? In other words, what's the point of it all? Okay, let, let's say Jesus walked out of the tomb. So what? Why did it have to happen? Why does the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ matter? And of course, uh, why does it matter to me? What's the point of it all? Well, these are the, the questions that I want to try to answer, and I'm going to do it by giving you four key thoughts, okay? Now, the only way I can really do it or explain it is that I've got to start at the beginning. I think you're going to think this is, this, this is interesting, okay? Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And by the way, if you can't get past those first four words, in the beginning, God, then your life really has no meaning. It has no purpose. It has no significance. If you as a human being are nothing more than an evolutionary process, then your life has no meaning. It can't because all you are is a product of, of chance. All you are is a, you know, a, a happenstance of nature. You're just educated goo. You've evolved from a primate. But that's another sermon. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then chapter one goes on to tell you about you. Unbelievable. The Bible says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Here's this picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit living in perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect love together. They've created everything, and now we get to enter into this incredible conversation. They say, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Beloved, human beings are made in the very image of God. And because human beings are made in the image of God, it gives our lives sanctity. It's what sets us apart. We're not like goats or cows or, or uh, you know, beetles or eagles or seals. We're made in the very image of God. It gives our life sanctity. It gives our life dignity. We're, we're different than all the other things that God created. 
We're actually made in his image. Unbelievable. James says in chapter 1, and we out of all creation became his prized possession. Beloved, you're special to God. As a human being, we are like nothing else that God has made. And I want you to understand, this is a critical truth. This is a theological truth that you need to understand. That God created it all, and he created you, and there's nothing like you. You are made in God's very image. It's one of the reasons why this church has what we call Good Sam Ministries, where we help over 250 new families every month with food. Now, you never read about us in the paper. You never hear about it. The overwhelming majority of those families don't go to this church. The overwhelming majority of those families aren't even Christians. They don't even believe in God. But you know why we help them? Because they're made in the very image of God. So we have no choice. Their life has sanctity. Human life is set apart. And so guess what? We're compelled to help people at this church. And we help a lot of people. But there's a reason why we help them. And it's because we understand that we're unique. Human beings are, 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 are unique. Now after God made Adam and Eve, he, you know, put, put them in the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect, absolutely perfect. God took care of every need they had. But something went terribly wrong. The image was going to be marred. Evil's going to enter the world. Everything's going to change. God creates it all, and He makes Adam, makes Eve, puts them in a garden. They have this incredible relationship with one another. And God says, listen, I'm going to take care of every need that you have. It's all yours. As far as the eye can see, enjoy it all, folks. It's yours. But guys, I don't want you to touch this tree in the middle of the garden. You see, he was going to give us a free will. And he just said, just don't touch that one. Just don't eat the fruit from that tree. That's all. You know, God made us, and so he keeps things pretty simple. Don't eat from that one, okay, Adam? Hey, Eve, don't, don't eat from that one. That's all. But it's all yours. Genesis chapter 3 tells us about the day that the devil enters into the picture. And he comes and somehow he's able to trick, deceive Eve into eating this fruit from this tree. And Adam took some of that fruit and he ate it also. And at that moment, everything changed. Remember, you were made in the very image of God. At the moment Adam and Eve decided to blow God off, at the very moment Adam and Eve decided to disobey God, at that very moment, the image was marred. The image was stained. Sin had entered the world. This is why everything's so messed up in the world today. The very moment Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sinned against God, it messed up everything because it brought evil into the world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. 
We were made in the image of God, but when Adam sinned, it marred the image, but the story gets worse. The Bible says that one of the things that Adam and Eve handed down to you was a sinful nature. Romans chapter 3 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. It's what has been handed down to you. It's your inheritance, if you will, from Adam and Eve. You have a sinful nature. We've all blown it. We've all disobeyed God. We were all made in the image of God, but sin marred all of us. We all have things we wish we hadn't done. We all have things we wish we hadn't said. We all have regrets. We all have guilt. We all have things that we've done that we knew were wrong. And the reason why you knew it was wrong was because God gave you a conscience. That's something the world can't explain away, is your conscience. God gave it to you. You know when you've done something wrong, or you said something wrong, or you thought something that was crummy. God gave you a conscience so that you would recognize the fact that sin had marred the image. Isaiah 53 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's paths to follow our own. That's exactly what Adam did, isn't it? God had a path for him to follow. Eat it all, just stay away from that thing. And Adam said, you know what? I'm not going to follow your path. I'm going to do it my own way. And he followed his own path and he sinned. Well, the Bible says, guess what? We're no different. Every single one of us has blown God off and decided that we were going to follow our own ways. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, the, heart is, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Listen, beloved, the reason why the world is so messed up is because the human heart is messed up. You see, Christianity has an answer to the question of evil. We have an answer to why crummy things happen to people. Now, you may not like the answer, but we have an answer, and that is it's sin. It's stained us all. It's marred us all. It's goofed us all up. When you look at all the crummy things that people do to themselves or to each other, it's all because sin has stained our hearts. Man, pick up your newspaper on any given day and just look at the crummy things that people do to themselves. Shoot themselves up with drugs and, man, drink themselves into stupors. And, oh, man, they, oh, isn't it amazing what human beings do to themselves? And then you look at what a human beings do to other human beings. Ripping each other off, rape, murder, the things that adults will do to children. Unbelievable, isn't it? Christianity has an answer to it, and that is sin. It's messed up everything. Everything. It's why people do crummy things to themselves, and it's why people do crummy things to other people. And it can all be traced back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve made the choice to disobey God. But believe it or not, the story's going to get worse. Not only did sin mess up everything down here on planet Earth, but it also brought with it a, a huge consequence, which brings us to the first of the four key thoughts, okay? Key thought number one, sin brought God's punishment upon your life. Sin brought God's punishment upon all of our lives. 
Exodus 34 says the Lord forgives people for evil and for sin and for turning against him, but he doesn't forget to punish guilty people. Now what exactly does that mean? What exactly is God's punishment? Well, I want you to listen to the very words of Jesus because he's going to let us all know what the punishment of God is. In Matthew chapter 25, the word of God says this, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and he's talking about himself there, and all the angels with him, then he'll sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations, that's just simply people, will be gathered in his presence, and Jesus is going to separate the people as a sheep separates the sheep from the goats. Now, in our culture, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but in biblical days, when Jesus said this, this makes sense, uh, a shepherd would have sheep, and he would have goats. And the sheep and the goats would hang out all day long, and the shepherd would take them down to the brook, and the sheep and the goats would drink from the brook. And then the sheep and the goats would all go into the meadow, and then they would all eat. But there came a moment when the shepherd would say, okay, I've got to separate all the sheep, and I've got to separate the goat. I've got to get them into two different groups. And so Jesus has given us an incredible illustration He's saying there's coming a day when I'm coming back and I'm going to gather all the people together and I'm going to separate them just like a shepherd would separate the sheep and the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Verse 41 says, Then the king, Jesus, will turn to those on his left, the goats, and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Now look, I'm okay if you don't like what I just said. I, those were Jesus' words. That's what Jesus said. Beloved, sin brought God's punishment. But what exactly is it? What is God's punishment? Okay, Jesus talks about this separation, but what, what is it? Well, this brings me to the second key thought, and that's this. The punishment for your sin is eternal separation from God. The goats are going to a place that was designed for the devil and the demons. It was never designed for human beings. You were made in God's image. God wanted to do life with you forever, but sin entered the world. It marred everything. It stained everything. And so everything changed. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and he won't listen anymore. And because we've all sinned, we all stand guilty before God, which means every one of us will be punished by God someday. Every one of us will be eternally cut off from God someday. Every one of us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. And that word wages in the Greek is simply an accounting term. You all, those of you that have jobs, make a wage. You make 10 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour, whatever it is. That wage is what is due you. 
The Bible says, here's what's due you. Here's your wage because you're a sinner. It's death. Physical death, certainly, but that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is it's spiritual death. You've been cut off from God. Sin's a horrible thing. All it does is destroy, destroys relationships. Every one of you in here, sin has messed up a relationship, hadn't it? Could be with a friend or you know, somebody you were dating or family member, huh? Sin got in there and just something messed it up. Sin destroys marriages. Man, some of you, right now, sin is destroying the marriage that you're in. For some of you, sin destroyed your first marriage. For some of you, sin destroyed your, your, you know, your fifth marriage. It just keeps destroying things. That's what sin does. And we've all got to deal with it because we've all been marred by it. Sin destroys families. I've done a lot of counseling here. I can't tell you how many families have been destroyed by sin. Now children aren't talking to their parents and the parents aren't talking to their kids and their kids ain't talking with grandma and grandpa or there's, you know, Uncle Joe who everybody hates. And, oh man, it's unbelievable how sin destroys families. Destroys churches. Told you in the past, it destroys cities, it destroys nations, it destroys civilizations, and for some of you right now, your sin is destroying you. Now you don't know it. You've been, in, you've been deceived into thinking that somehow your, your sin has made you free. And you don't even realize you're in bondage to it. You don't even realize what it's doing to you. It's destroying you, it's destroying your hope, your mind, your will, your values. But worst of all, sin destroys your relationship with God. It leaves a, a hole in your heart that nothing can fill. Now, now, people try to fill it with all kinds of things, things like sex. They try to fill it with adultery. They try to fill it with popularity. They try to fill it with hobbies and sports and work. Some people, man, just hate to even be alone with their own thoughts, and so they keep themselves busy doing this and doing that. And, they, man, they just got to keep doing because, man, they just got to somehow fill that thing in here. Man, sin is just this ucky, yucky, crummy thing. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said. He said, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? No. Can a leopard take away its spots? No. Neither can you start doing good, for you've always done what's evil. And the story just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? You can't fix your problem. I can't fix my problem. The problem of sin, the problem that uh, uh, the, the marring of our heart that separated us from God, we, we can't fix it. Because sin has permanently stained our lives. Now, if I ended the story here and told everybody to go home, you'd think to yourself, you know, why did I come here today? Man, this guy's Debbie Downer. I want to get out of here, man. Why would people, literally billions of people, gather all over the world to celebrate this? Why would you add services, you know, to your 
church schedule for, for that? Well, obviously, the, the story doesn't end here, does it? You see, this is where Christianity comes in. This is where the story gets amazing. Christianity recognizes the problem that we as human beings have, the problem uh, that, you know, of sin and the punishment that sin brings upon our lives. It recognizes that because of sin, our hearts have been marred. It recognizes the, the stain that sin brought. It recognizes that because of sin, our, our world's going to hell in a handbasket. You see, as a Christian, I can wake up and see what's happening in the world, and I get it. I understand what's happening. It's sin. It recognizes that all of us are, are trapped. We're, we're prisoners of our own sin. Sin has us in, in bondage, if you will. It recognizes that there's nothing we can do to change what sin has done. Christianity says, yes, you've, you're, you're trapped. Yes, there's nothing you can do about it, but I got some good news. Yes, it stains your heart, sin has. And yes, there's nothing you can do about it, but God can. God can change your heart through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is why Christians gather all over the world on a weekend like this. It's why we gather here every weekend. We gather here every weekend and sing and hoop and holler and have a great time and man, just because of this incredible moment, this incredible story. Listen to what God said through the prophet Ezekiel. God says, I'll give you a new heart. Well, that's good news because our old ones are messed up. Old ones are stained, the old ones are marred. I'll give you a new spirit. I'll, I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Beloved, I never get tired of telling this story. Yes, there's a, a few moments where it seems bleak and it seems crummy and it seems like, man, why'd I come here? But the amazing thing is, is that all of a sudden there's the shift in the story. And God says, listen, I got some good news for you. I can give you a new heart. You see, he's got the power to give you a new heart. He can forgive your sins, which then would nullify the punishment that sin brings, which brings us to key thought number three. Key thought number three is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven. In Acts chapter five, uh, Peter begins to preach, same guy who at first just didn't believe in this whole resurrection thing. He says, hey, you killed Jesus by hanging him on a cross. But God, the, the God of our ancestors, raised Jesus up from the dead. And the reason why he could say that was because he saw him. Jesus is the one whom God raised to be on his right side as leader and savior. Through him, all people could change their hearts and lives, praise God, and have their sins forgiven. Listen to me very carefully. Heaven is a perfect place, okay? Perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy, no sin, no mistakes, no evil, no errors. It's absolutely perfect in every way that you can think of, which means you've got to be perfect to get there. 
Otherwise, it wouldn't be perfect. That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. Who gets in? Last hour, I, I, I met with some people who gave their life to Christ, and I'm walking back out, and a guy's walking out. He's, I, I'm sure it was his wife. Never seen him before. And he said, hey, I want you to know, still don't believe it. And I said, well, which, which part of it don't you believe? He goes, all of it. And his wife says, well, I can guarantee he's still a sinner. And <laughs> so that, there's a classic statement. I don't believe any of it. You know, I'm not a sinner. I'm perfect. And there was his wife who probably doesn't believe either going, well, dude, look at it. You may not believe the story, pal, but you ain't perfect. You see, none of us are perfect. There isn't anybody in this room who's going to stand up and say, I'm perfect which means none of us in this room can get to heaven. Because if we could get to heaven, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. So God came up with a plan to make you perfect so that you could get into heaven. And that was through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was perfect. And the reason why Jesus was perfect was because Jesus was God. And how do we know that Jesus was God? The resurrection! There isn't one person in my 30 years of being here at this church who's ever, you know, walked out of a casket down at Lakewood. None of you, when you take your last breath here on planet Earth, are walking out of a casket. When you're dead, you're dead. It's over. So the only person who possibly could conquer death would be God, right? I mean, how could death have any impact on God? And the Bible says this, yeah, Rick, you're a sinner. But if you didn't invite my son into your life, my son was a part of your life, he is perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. And if you, you'd invite him into your life, the Father will look down from heaven and no longer see your marred heart. The Father won't look down and see your stained heart anymore. What'll happen is the Father will look down and go, oh, my son! He's invited my son into his life. And the light of my son trumps his sin. Jesus trumps your sin. Now look, am I a, still a sinner? Look, my wife was sitting down here last hour and she, amen. That's just not right for your wife to say amen like that. I, I, just chopped me off right at the knees. Unbelievable. Do I sin? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I do sin. But it's when I invite Jesus Christ in my life, and I did it 30 years ago, said, Jesus, come into my life. All of a sudden, God gave me a new heart. Christ lives in me, and now the Father looks down and doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see the junk. He doesn't see the stain. He doesn't see the marring anymore. All he sees is his son, Jesus Christ. And by virtue of my relationship with Jesus Christ, whoa, I'm perfect to the Father. You see, this is why I want people to taste Jesus. 
That's why in our children's ministry and our youth ministries, everything we do around here, it's all about Jesus. It ain't about me, it ain't about you. It ain't about the Pope and it ain't about Mary because who cares about any of them? None of them can save you from your sins. There's only one person and that's Jesus Christ, period, period. Romans chapter three says people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. Beloved, God's plan to cleanse you from the stain that sin left on your heart cost God his very own son, Jesus Christ. You're not saved because of the life of Jesus. You're not saved because of the teachings of Jesus. You're not saved because of the example of Jesus. You're saved because of the blood of Jesus. God gave Jesus Christ his son as a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice for you. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the payment for the penalty of your sin. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the appeasement of, the, of his wrath against your sin. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the cleansing agent for your stained heart. Beloved, your salvation came at a huge price. The bloody body of Jesus Christ. Why? Why did God do this? Why did God do this for us? Because he loved you. Let me take you back to the very beginning of the message. Remember, you're made in his image. You're not a goat. You're not a seal. You're not a snail. You're not an ant. You're not a whale. You're a human being that gives you your life sanctity. You're made in his image. He did it because he loved you. You're special to him. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, but God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. The Bible says in Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Beloved, 2,000 years ago, God came to planet Earth in the person of Jesus Christ and died for your sins. He, he paid the price for all the things you've ever done wrong, and he offers you a, a chance to escape the punishment due you and give you a brand new life right now. Yes, a life that'll go on in heaven forever, but a new life, brand new life right now. A life full of meaning and significance. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that what? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish. In other words, wouldn't have the, the punishment of God on their lives, but would have eternal life. For God didn't send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world to save the world. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Now let me unpack what Jesus said there really quickly. Jesus Christ didn't come to planet earth and live a life, an incredible life, 33 and a half years or whatever, to bring condemnation. Jesus doesn't come to condemn anybody because we were already condemned. Our sin had condemned us. 
Our sin had stained us. It had marred the image. He didn't come to bring condemnation. We were already condemned. He came to bring life to us. He came to fix the problem of sin in your life. He came to give you a new heart. That's why He came. So, I know Him. I've invited Him in my life. There's no condemnation in my life anymore because I have Christ in my life. So what's required of you? What do you have to do to receive this new life or eternal life or cleansed heart? Well, this brings me to the last key thought, okay? You've got to put your trust. You've got to believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3 says we're made right with God. How does that happen? By placing our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Uh, Pastor, you don't know who I am. Man, I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. You know, I'm an adulterer. I'm a you know, child offender. Doesn't matter who you are. I, your sin has stained your life. It's marred your life. I know. But you're made right with God no matter who you are by simply putting your faith, your trust in Him. In John chapter 6, some people came to Jesus and asked Him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus said, here's the work of God. Simply believe in the one whom He has sent. That's the work. The work isn't to be baptized. The work isn't to take communion. The work isn't to give an offering. The work isn't to go out and do a lot of good things. The work, the only way you deal with the sin is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Many times after a service, I'll meet people and I'll ask them if they're Christians and I often hear this, well, I'm trying, Pastor. Beloved, Christianity is not about trying. It's about trusting. All other religions of the world have the idea of do and you'll be saved. Do and God will be happy with you. But Christianity says no. Believe, receive, trust, have faith. That's how you're saved. Beloved, God's salvation doesn't come through a religion or through baptism or some ritual or through a bunch of do's and don'ts. It comes through a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And I think John summed it up really well when he said this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Life with God forever. And this life, this eternal life, is in His Son. Because He's the one who fixes our hearts. He's the one that fixes the sin problem. If you have the Son, you got the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the life because you're still stuck with your sin. The reason why billions of people come together on a weekend like this is we celebrate this incredible story, this amazing story. And this is what I want you to do. I just want you to close your eyes for, for just a moment. One of our guys wrote a song for this weekend, and they're going to play it for you, but I just want you to have your eyes closed for a second, okay? It's a beautiful song. You'll hear the song, and our gathering will be over. But there were some people last hour who gave their life to Christ. And I believe maybe the Lord's been 
touching some of your lives. And if you're here right now and you're thinking to yourself, man, you know what, I get it. I, I, I think I understand this thing. I've never invited Christ into my life. My, my heart is still stained with sin. And the only way I can have it cleansed is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look, if God's revealed that truth to you, I just want to pray with you, okay? If you want to know that your sins have been forgiven and everything's all right with, between you and the Father, just want you to pray this prayer. You don't find this prayer in the Bible. I'm just going to make it up, but you've got to mean it in your heart. Just say, dear Jesus, I understand. Sin had messed up my heart. My sin had messed up my relationship with you. And I receive you right now into my life as my Lord, my Savior. I give my life to you. Cleanse me of my sin. I receive you. Now here's the deal. While your heads are bowed, I want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, you gave your life to Jesus Christ right now, would you do me a favor and would you just raise your hand and, and, and make sure I see you? Got you right over here. A couple of you right down here. Oh man, a whole bunch of you over here. Make, make sure I see you. Just look up at me. You can raise your hand and look up at me, okay? Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Get it. Woohoo. Okay. All right. Everybody look up here. Let me tell you what happened last hour. Last hour, I don't know, 20, 30 hands went up and it was incredible. But I asked them to do something. We sang a song and afterwards I, I just asked them if they'd meet me in a little room over here so I could personally talk with them. And uh, only a couple people did. I mean, 30 hands went up at least, just like tonight. But only a few could make the time to come on over. So I could actually meet with them and talk with them. And I gave them Bibles and talked to them about a, a class that I'm going to start here in just about a week or so that I actually teach where I can actually kind of start answering some of your questions. And you get to learn about this God who died on a cross and was raised to new life again. And so this is what I'm going to do. Before they, before they even sing, in a minute I'm going to walk off. And you guys, I want you to hear the song. It's unbelievable. But if you prayed... And there were people everywhere, they're in every section who raised their hand. Jesus was hanging on a cross publicly for you. Publicly. Came here for you, loved you. And I'm gonna ask you that in just a moment, I'm gonna walk off this platform, I'm gonna walk through those doors, and if you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you raised your hand, I just want you to get up, and if a family member came with you, just say, listen, would you go with me? If you came all by yourself, just grab someone next to you and say, listen, man, I don't know anything about this church. Come with, will you come with me? They'll come with you. Maybe you're here and over the last week or so, you've given your life to Christ. I just wanna to talk to you for a minute. And so here's the deal. I'll count to three. I want you just to stand up and make your way out and we'll walk out that door together. And I believe that if it was really genuine, really, you really understood sin and the dilemma it brought to your life and you really understand what it took to cleanse your life, getting up and walking out those doors isn't going to be that big of a deal. 
and, and, and so it's just in your hands, okay? So I'm going to count to three, and then boom, you just stand up, and I'm going to walk out these doors, and guess what? Some of you are going to be nervous. Your heart's beating. You're thinking, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, really? I wonder what was going through Jesus' mind when he was hanging on that cross for you. So here we go. One, two, three. Stand up. Come out these doors right now. Come on. You made a decision for Christ. Come on. 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 